Thank you so much for being here this morning. We're continuing with the passion of Jesus. Remember the passion, that period of time. More specifically, not including his entire incarnation, because the incarnation of the Son of God is a passion. It's a suffering. Condescension as we have no understanding and imagination of. Restriction from eternity to a temporal location, from being everywhere to being located in a person, in a man. And so in the last hours of his life, this is what we call the passion of Jesus as he is arrested, as he is tried, as he is beaten, as he is crucified, as he dies. Father, again this morning, as only you can do and only you will do, speak to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Illuminate us, illumine us, give us revelation and understanding. Transform us by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we continue with this little verse, Matthew 27, verse 3 which we did a little bit last week and we'll continue today. Then when Judas, Jesus' betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind. Now remember, what has precipitated the change in Judas' mind? He has seen that what he has done is wrong. Correct? No, last week, you remember, we talked about the issue of changing our minds about our sin, which is called biblical repentance. And biblical repentance is God's grace gift to us that allows us and enables us and motivates us and moves us to reject sin as to its attack against God And turn our backs on it or to change our minds about it, if you would. That's the initiating work of the Holy Spirit to birth us into the kingdom of God. In fact, without the initial work of repentance, ain't none of us going to be here today and in the kingdom of God. And without the continuing work of the Holy Spirit in granting us repentance as we live in the kingdom, ain't none of us are ever going to be sanctified as members of the kingdom of God. And I think one of the deficiencies that we have experienced among ourselves and personally and as corporate as a corporate body is, we have not understood and we have not looked at the issue and considered the issue of repentance as a necessary and the necessary prerequisite for faith. And so we have so emphasized faith, which is obviously central. We have not seen that apart from repentance, faith will not happen. And so we must make sure that we see faith repentance as a comprehensive work of the Holy Spirit, not forgetting repentance and demoting it to a secondary level, but keeping it on a healthy, vibrant, person-to-person, continuing level with God as we are talking 
as we are receiving from his Holy Spirit. Now, this is phage coming in, and this is Mount. Mount, we already talked about you for a moment. What's your name again? Moriah. Okay, that's Mount. So, this morning we can talk about sanctifying repentance, and I, I need to try to move along because I have a lot of material here. In our last session, we discussed the necessity of repentance for our salvation. Unless you repent, you will also perish. So one of the things that we have to make sure when we're sharing the gospel and someone is being moved upon by the Holy Spirit, we have to explain the mechanics of this. Remember when Peter shares the gospel on on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. These people are what? Pierced to their hearts. They know something is happening. They know they have been wrong. And they ask, what are we supposed to do? The first thing we must tell them is not put your faith in Jesus. That is not what the apostle says, does he? He says, repent. Repent. Understand that your lifestyle has been sinful and abhorrent to God. You must, by the Spirit, what you're experiencing is, is a rejection of that. So understand that you are cooperating with God's beginning, initiating work of saving you by repenting. And once you repent, and as you repent, you are moving away from sin and are able now to begin to embrace Christ. So we have to be careful how we share this. We must not leave off repentance as a prerequisite for being saved. We must not jump immediately into faith. We must do what the Bible says. So Jesus' first sermon is recorded in Mark. What does he he say? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Okay, church? So we need to make sure we get the issue in the right place. Now you say, well, if I tell them to repent, I may alienate them because, no, if God is at work, you will free them. If God is not at work, you will alienate them. Amen? The work of God and the sharing of the necessity of repentance brings freedom and forgiveness. It will not alienate. Now, if you're mean as a stick, that's something else. So repentance is the first of two God-gifted actions that allow us to receive God's gift of eternal life. It is the action of our new heart that turns away from our sin or repudiates our sin in order to turn to God in faith. Repentance toward God, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, Acts 20, 21. It is the activity of the new heart. What do you mean? I don't repent in order to get the new heart? You cannot repent in the flesh and receive something from God. God changes your heart. Remember, Ezekiel, I'm going to be slow in this, am I not? Ezekiel 36. When you read those verses, 26 and 27, I will, I will, I will, I will. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And I will change your old heart. I will give you a what? New heart. I will take out of you a stony heart and give you a heart of flesh. And I will give you the Holy Spirit. Once that happens, then we are able, having received the new heart, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, we are now able to 
repent of sin. Are you with me this morning? We don't repent in order to be saved. God is saving us through the activity of giving us the ability to repent in order to receive the salvation that he is giving us, receiving it by faith, Ephesians 2.8. Do we see that? I want to make sure we see the process clearly. And by the way, that same process is the continuing process of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives day by day. So it's important to understand that the biblical, that biblical God-gifted and God-generated repentance is not just one act. It's an act or a decision that is a continuing work of process, is a continuing process work. Repentance is the initiating decision by the Holy Spirit that allows us to continue in the process of being not only saved but being transformed. Repentance is not a decision and all of a sudden everything is all of a sudden correct and and absolutely right and whatever. It is the process by which we are embraced, I'm sorry, rejecting our sin that God gives, get God convicts us of of the Holy Spirit and embracing Christ, embracing the work of the Holy Spirit toward transformation. Repentance is a decision that initiates a process. It's not the process itself, nor is it the end result. It is the beginning of the process of being saved or being transformed. So repentance is always the means of God's transforming us into the image of his son. Now, this is what 2 Timothy 2.25 and 26 says. And we, again, I want to make sure we, sorry, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to make sure we see this. Paul is speaking to Timothy, and he says, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, that they may escape the snare of the devil after being captured to do by him to do his will. It is not possible for any of us to decide on our own to repent. Now, that's important for you to know. Repentance is not a decision that I make. Repentance is my agreement with and cooperation with the decision of the Holy Spirit. You got it? You cannot repent on your own. And the reason there's so much failure in the body of Christ to be overcoming sin and walking practically free of sin to any degree is that too many believers are on their own and in their own steam or flesh or ability, if you would. We are trying to repent. How many of you try to repent? How many of us have tried to repent? And is it, we don't try. We cannot do it. We must stop trying to repent. God grants repentance. It is a God grace gift to us. It's like try to be saved. Flow, try to be saved. And if we told someone, try to be saved, you should rebuke us, correct? You say, but it's impossible, Mo, for you to try to be saved. It is as impossible for you to repent on your own as it is to try to be saved. Amen? Now, this is crucial. 
if you don't get anything else this morning, this you must get because this is the impediment in too many believers. And this is why we're not going, if you were, would forward as we should go. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit is good and gracious. But we, in order to be transformed by him in a way that gives him the glory, we must not take up the work of the Holy Spirit. We must agree with and submit to and walk with the work of the Holy Spirit. We cannot take it up in ourselves, Sarah. So when the Bible says repent, it is understanding what this word means within the biblical context. You see, it's not possible for any of us to decide on our own to repent. Did you get that? Any questions about that before we proceed? Any questions? I don't give very much time for questions and answers, but any questions? God must grant repentance. I can't hear you. I got it. I'm going there. That's good. No, no, you're right. You're right to ask that. That should be the question of everyone in here. So, Cole, Lester, would you say it loudly so everybody can hear it? What should we do? What should we do? Romans 8.13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, Romans 8.13, very important. If by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the flesh, you will what? Live. If by the Spirit, if by the Spirit you are repenting, if by the Spirit you are faithing, if by the Spirit you are obeying, if by the Spirit you are speaking, if by the Spirit, etc., 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 you will live. If it's apart from by the Spirit, it is of sin because there is no such thing as faith, biblical faith, apart from the Spirit. And that which is not of faith is sin. Do we, do we see how this works? Billy, do you, are you getting this? Steve, are you getting this? W, I mean, Dwayne, are you getting this? You see, as I've already said, repentance is not just a single decision. It is a spirit-empowered decision that results in the fruit of of a spirit-led walk. It is a spirit-empowered decision that results in the fruit of a spirit-led walk or life. Amen? John, uh, John said, bring forth what? Fruit in keeping or in accordance with repentance. Remember, he's talking to the Pharisees who were coming to be baptized. You know, who, who warned you people to be a flea from the wrath of God? Repentance begins with the decision, but is always, may I repeat that word? Repentance begins with the decision, but is what? Always. May I say it again, Harold? Always. It is always followed by the transforming work of the Spirit as he is conforming us to the image of God's Son. So this begins as the Holy Spirit's ministry. Remember, 16, 8 of John, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict what? Of sin, righteousness, of judgment. But let's talk about what? Sin. So the initiating work of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin. Sin. 
Not of just of not doing right. Not just of being a bad boy. Not just of whatever. But of sin. Call it sin. Amen? Can you say amen? Call it sin. Because the Bible will deal, God will deal with it in relation to our understanding it as what? Sin. You don't call it alcoholism. You call it drunkenness. You call it sin. You don't call it gaming. You call it gambling. Sin. It's sin. Holy Spirit isn't convicting us that we're just not that good and all that kind. He is convicting us of sin. And when he convicts us of sin, the essence of the conviction of sin, make sure you get this, the essence of the conviction of the Holy Spirit that you are sinning is that you are sinning against God, that he is the target of your dishonoring or my dishonoring, my blasphemy against this God of ours. Chris, right? Every sin is about God. It's not about your mama. It's not about your wife. It's not about your husband. It's not about your pastor. It's about God. Oh, church, we get this. God is the target of every sin in my life. Can you say amen? Amen. You see, if we don't get these essentials, we miss the whole issue and the power and the effectiveness and the work of repentance. I dare say that many of us have understood this or thought about it, and I'm not critical of you. It's partly my fault as a teacher not clearly clarifying it for you. It's our part, faultly, as the leaders of the church for not making this as clear as we need to. And it's partly your fault for not studying the word. Amen? In other words, Phil, right, we're in it all together, aren't we? I lay blame at my feet. I lay blame at Nettie's feet. I lay blame at Chris's feet. We all are at fault. But now we're beginning to see something here as the Holy Spirit has taken this opportunity to show us about one of the most essential life-changing issues in our, in, in our lives. And I don't think most of us would have considered this. Repentance? Oh, yeah, well, you know. I mean, without repentance, you ain't going nowhere in Christ. Amen? Without repentance, you ain't going nowhere in Christ. Oh, I need to get through this. Well, if I don't, we'll just move along. Now, when we are convicted of sin, here's where the rubber hits the road. I'm convicted of sin. I have two choices. Kit, you know what the choices are? You have your notes there? I don't know whether Evan had it in the notes. Does he have it in the notes? I have two choices. Two choices? I don't know what page we are in the notes. Where are we? At page two at the top. I have two choices, Mary. Wendy, I have two choices. There are two Marys at the table. I need to include both of you. Karen, I have two choices. Celeste, I have two choices. 
Karen, two choices. Giselle, Andres, AJ, Darlene, how many choices? I have one of two. I'm going to do one of two when I'm convicted of sin. I'm assuming we're talking about recognition that the thing is sin. You will understand the context. What are the two choices? Mark 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. We had that choice. We had the choice of what? Asking, seeking, and knocking. Or we have the choice of James 4-2. You ain't got it because you ain't asked for it. You have not because what? You ask not. We have two choices when it comes to the conviction of sin. And when I'm convicted of sin, church, no matter how, I don't like the word, but I'll use it because you'll understand it. No matter how big or small the sin is, I hate that, but I'll use it for your sake. What sin, when we understand targets God, is bigger or smaller than another sin? Right? Which one? Which one? We must see sin in relation to God and not in relation to us. Can you say amen? We see sin in relation. Oh, well, Ronnie, that was just a little sin. You see, it's okay. A little white lie. (laughs) Don't you see? A little white lie. What is it called? Sin. Hey, Jonathan, how are you, sweetheart? He has my, that's my favorite human name for a man, Jonathan. Ask me how many grandsons I have. Ask me his name, Jonathan. Ask. The Lord has just shown me something. How do I respond? Not this way. Well, but you know, this and that. And, you know, he said this and she did that. And, and I saw what they, and, and this was. Cu- That's making sin about me rather than about God. Amen. So my initial reaction to sin is this, Lester. Father, grant me repentance. I do it all the time. I have to do it because, you see, Warren, without that, I cannot be free of the sin's clutches and impurity in my life. I must ask God to cleanse me of this sin, to give me His grace gift of repentance. I must ask for that if I'm going to get out from underneath the clutches and the impurity of the sin. I can't decide to sin. I mean, sorry, repent. I can only decide to sin, right? That's my decision, right, Frank? It's the only decision I have. Sin is the only thing that I can own as my own. I can't own my looks. I can't own my education. I can't own anything. I can only own one thing personally, and that's sin. So what happens when I'm convicted? What do you do? What do you do when you're convicted? What do you do? Ask 
God to grant repentance. Because here's often the issue. I sin. Now, unless it's a horrific sin, I sin. And I'm kind of, I don't feel much about it. Come on, come on, come on. Any hands on that? I sin or do something wrong, whatever. And I really, you know, it doesn't affect me much, but I know it's sin. Are you with me on this? No, no, it doesn't, you know, affect me too much. There's the deadliness of sin. And the only way it's going to affect me in a godly way is for me to receive God's grace gift of repentance. If sin is in your life and you are not feeling, feeling, feeling something about it in relation to God, there is something critically wrong. I dare say that if I went up to Big Whittemore over there, Stan Whittemore, you can do it. Come on. There he is, Big Whittemore. Now, raise up Grayson for me. Raise him up all the way so we can see this great-looking guy. All right. I dare say if I went up to Grayson, the apple of John's heart or the apple of the eye, what is it? And if I poke that little boy in the eye purposely... I dare say that John Whittemore is going to feel that. Are you? We need to feel sin because we are poking Jesus Christ in the eye, if you would. And church, we're not feeling this. You say, why do you get so passionate? Because this rocks my life. I must get God's reaction to my sin in order to receive, as I receive rather, his repentance. Amen? If you're sinning without any, eh, there's something wrong in your life in relation to the holy, wonderful, great, gracious, heavenly Father that you have attacked. Are you with me on this? And I think all of us have lived here. Not trying to condemn this morning, but to awaken. So, Georgina, what do we do? We ask. John, we we recognize, Father, grant repentance. Holy Spirit, produce repentance in me about this sin. That's my first reaction to conviction. Any other reaction first is about you. It's idolatry. Every conviction of sin must have as its first reaction, if God is in it, my asking to be granted repentance. Any other reaction first 
it's about you and your circumstances. In 2 Corinthians 7.10, Paul cites two types of grief. You see, conviction of sin should produce grief. If it doesn't produce grief in you, you are more in trouble than you thought. I'm, I'm being serious. You can call yourself a believer all day long. I, I have lived this. I have lived this. And it almost swallowed me. And I am not content to allow it to swallow you without warning. It's not happening. It's not happening. Not in this church. If sin doesn't produce a grief in you, there's something wrong. I'm not talking about the biggies. I'm talking about what? Any sin whatsoever, whenever, however, why ever. Something wrong, Ricky. And so the grief that is to be the reaction to sin. Let me see. Let me read it the way I have it here so I don't get it wrong. Paul cites two different types of grief, which on the surface might seem to be the same, but which have very different sources and results. A person sins and a person falls. I have had this in my office. Perhaps Phil has witnessed this in the time that he has counseled and met with people and others of it. I have seen people fall apart as a result of their sin. Do you know what I mean by that? Do you understand, Porter? Fall apart. Right, Frank? You, you, you've seen this, haven't you? You've counseled with many people. Fall apart. And my initial reaction, Anna, would be, if I don't know the Bible, that person's repenting. Not necessarily. John said, bring forth fruit. He didn't say bring forth emotion. But the emotion of repentance is grief. But there is another kind of grief. So look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm sorry, verse, chapter 7, verse 10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. It not only means leads to you being saved, but it means a continuance in your salvation as you are maturing in Christ by being transformed and conformed to the image of God's Son. That's what that word means, salvation. It not only means to be saved, but to continue to be saved all the way to the end when we stand before the Lord Jesus. A grief. What kind of grief? But... The other kind is a worldly grief that produces what? Death. So let's talk about godly grief. We have about 45 more minutes. So first of all, first of all, look at the word. Look at the word. Godly grief. What is the controlling word in that? Two words. Godly. God-centered. God-honoring. It's about God. It's for God. It's from God. It's about God, for God, and from God. This is grief that has God as its center and its focus. This is what I've been saying. Haven't I been saying this? Godly grief is a grief that we experience by the grace of God. Remember 2 Timothy 2.25? About 
how our sin affects God. I dare say that most of us, I never considered cognitively sit down and think about it and reflect on it and experience it. Jody, I never used to think how my sin affected God. My problem was it was my wife's fault. My, my reflection was about someone else or the reason or whatever. Or am I going to be in trouble or will I be caught? That's been my reflection. It's always been about anything and everything about God. But when the Holy Spirit taught me how this sin affects God, my Father, it crushed me, thankfully, to the ground. I don't care how big or little, if you want to use that word, I don't like them, but I'll use them for your sake. How big or little your sin seems to be in your sight. The question is, how does your sin affect your God? Now, you can put away this foolishness that, oh, we're forgiven anyway. Foolishness. Did I say we're not forgiven? No. But it's foolish to make that your thought. Because it's about you, don't you see? Rather than the God who sent his son to the cross to give you the forgiveness that you have. It's not about us. It's about God. What our sin says about God is the most grievous aspect of our sin. Listen, we are the image bearers of God's of God, we are being conformed to the image of Christ. Remember Romans 8, 8, 29? And as God's image bearers in Christ, about Christ, when we sin, we are lying about God. We are impugning God. We are uh, slandering the Son of God. Don't you see that? It's about God. You see, godly grief is the ministry of the Holy Spirit which leads to salvation, furthers, furthers us. In our salvation. So in the last few minutes, and I think I'll just want to go through these quickly. What, is, what does it look like? What does it feel like to be experiencing godly grief? Because if you have any sense, sissy, you will ask, well, if I'm supposed to experience godly grief, how do I know if I'm experiencing godly grief? Do you get that? Belt, do you get that? How do I know I'm experiencing godly grief? I can't hear you. You think I should stop and wait till next week? Yeah, but I already have next week's done and I want to get to it. <laughs> okay, I'll do something I almost never do. How many of you believe we need to stop here and come back next week for this? How many of you believe we need to just continue? Okay, Burtis outweighs all of you. I didn't mean in a physical sense. <laughs> Thank you, Burtis. Man, I love you, man. I love you as a part of the audience. You're a great comeback every Sunday. Never miss. Who won't be here next week? Get the tape. Go on the podcast. Don't miss these things. What's that? Next eight weeks? Wow. We're going to have a table empty, aren't we? Got a table empty. 
lung. It's good we can laugh a lot. Listen to how I'm going to say this. Listen to how I'm going to say this. Listen to how I'm going to say this. Because I don't want you to mishear misunderstanding. In Christ, as believers, we have been forgiven all our sin. I'm going to give you two scriptures alone. 1 John 3, 7. I'm looking at AJ, but looking at my Bible, it's written in your eyes, AJ. I think it's 1 John 3, 7. Someone may, oh, sorry, 1, 7. That's it. One eye was bad, worse than the other, AJ. You need an optometrist. 1 John 1, 7. Colossians 1, 13. The Bible says, in Christ, there is not one sin that is not forgiven. Why? Because you cannot be in the Holy One himself and have anything of unholiness not having been dealt with. Amen? We are fully, finally, and forever forgiven when God saves us. Do you believe that? So there's no more trying to get forgiven. Repentance is not for the purpose of forgiveness. Many teach, if you don't repent as a believer, you won't be forgiven. Where do you find that? Repentance is for the purpose of continuing to live in the good and in the power of our having been fully forgiven. Now, if you want to, to say, Father, forgive me, that's fine. It's not an issue of being forgiven. It's an issue of walking in the good of our forgiveness. Because if it is about forgiveness and you fail to repent, then you're going to hell. You're going to hell. Why? Because you're not going to get everything repented of, are you? Everybody, anybody here think you're going to repent of absolutely every sin in your life? Can you, can you say, thank God, it's not about repenting to be forgiven, but repenting because we have been forgiven. Repenting because we have been forgiven, not to be forgiven. Don't you see? That's it. So the burden is not about my forgiveness. The burden is about my insulting the God of glory. Now you may say, suppose I don't repent. Ah, there's a wonderful scripture in Hebrews 12, 6 through 11. What is it? Whom the Lord loveth, he what? disciplines he disciplines as you as a son or child why because he loves you don't ever fail to think that if you fail to repent or someone didn't that you're going to get away with it because there is a god who must honor his son's death and guess what patty he always will won't he so Thank you, Todd, for that word from the Holy Spirit. I receive that. See you next week.